This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Live during Alumni Weekend on the historic campus of the University of Pennsylvania, this is a special reunion radio edition of Knowledge at Wharton. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And hi, everybody, and welcome to our special Saturday reunion radio edition of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. It's the one week a year where we work six days a week on this show. But great to have you joining us wherever you're listening around the United States and up into Canada. Busy day here on the channel as we will have a variety of shows throughout the day uh, touching on Reunion Radio, speaking with a variety of Wharton alums who are back on campus uh, for their reunions, uh, this being the fours and the nines that are uh, in for reunion. So anybody that ended up graduating in 1984, 1989, et cetera, et cetera, on end or on campus for their reunion. So we'll be spending the next two hours here on our show doing that, day two of our show. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to our reunion radio show on Friday as well. Coming up on uh, today's Saturday edition of Knowledge of Warden, we're going to start out the show by talking with the founding director of Alignalytics. We'll find out how the company got started and what alignment analytics actually are. Then in about 30 minutes, we're going to be talking about workplace culture with the co-founder and CEO of Zeal Technology, Mark Somal. His company provides software to help produce the best outcomes with employee engagement. Then in hour number two, we focus on one side of Hollywood with Warner Brothers executive Adam Sloan. He works on the software and technical side of the industry, including making sure that systems for art production, casting, script development, and more are in alignment. And then in our final 30, Bumble was first a dating app, but it is now so much more. And part of it is becoming more in tune with the needs of women right now with things such as networking and finding new friends. We'll be talking with one of the executives from Bumble coming up at 1130 Eastern time. All of that over the next two hours. Your comments and questions are welcome throughout. The way for you to join in is either by phone at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. First, though, here's what you need to know from today's business headlines. And new data out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics yesterday showing that three states have set record loads, uh, lows on employment, unemployment all time. Vermont registered an unemployment rate of just 2.2% last month. Pennsylvania at 3.8%. Wisconsin at 2.8%. This occurs the same month that the national unemployment rate dipped to 3.6%. The Commerce Department is apparently considering changing its mind to a degree on the restrictions on Huawei customers. Concerns surrounding existing infrastructure that may still depend on Huawei equipment uh, and any interruption that may occur because of it. The United States and Canada have agreed to a deal to lift steel and aluminum tariffs between the countries. It is expected that this move will push forward the approval of the USMCA trade deal between those two countries and Mexico as well. Nike is adding language to the contracts of its female athletes that will protect their pay while they are pregnant and not competing. The sports apparel giant said that it adopted that policy last year, but was now writing it into endorsement deals. And the college admission scandal has another twist to it. 
Apparently, some students involved were told to falsely claim that they were minorities. As we have spoken about on this show numerous times, analytics is one of the most powerful driving forces for business today. Companies are hiring more people to their firms with analytics backgrounds, or they are hiring contractors to do that type of work for them. But what is alignment analytics, and how is it an important factor in business success? That's the path of one such firm founded by 1989 Wharton grad Roland Moseman, who is uh, the founding uh, founding director and uh, executive of Align Analytics. Roland was a previous member of the executive board of the World Economic Forum in Geneva, Switzerland. He's also the author of several books and a pleasure to have him joining us in studio. Thank good, you. Good to meet you. Having fun back on campus? Absolutely. It's really been wonderful, actually. Uh, what is Alignment Analytics? So uh, we've been doing this for a long time. And um, typically, we would always be talking about analytics and previous names around the same theme. Um, and you kept bumping into the silos, which are well-known, yeah. and the issue about the lack of alignment between IT, for example, and technology and the business side of things, uh, lack of alignment between finance and sales, lack of alignment between strategic goals and operational execution. Right. And so I kept finding – we used to call ourselves something else, and I kept using the word alignment so often, and we were always talking about analytics, analytics that we finally said, well – that's really what we're talking about, using data and analytics to drive better alignment across and down the organization. Uh, that's a very generic statement. Sure. But when you dig into specific things, it, you know, it's really another way of thinking about uh, <clears throat> that it's not just about the technology. Right. It's about also the, 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 the change in how people work. Right. And that's a unique side of the story, and, and I don't think it's discussed enough. Obviously, it's thought about but it may be not discussed enough, is that the data can obviously bring you A, B, and C, but there is still another part that has to be X, Y, and Z as well. Exactly. That, that relies on the people within the company. Exactly. And I think, so there's two dimensions I think that are useful to think about. One is it's never just the data. It's also the context, the judgment, the interpretation. Right. And the second is that you're you're often dealing with a change in the way people do things. Right. And so, for example, using advanced analytics to drive certain price optimization. Right. you got a bunch of people that are now supposed to be doing their job differently in pricing where they have a lot of expertise and knowledge, and you're telling them this is now how you can do this. Right. So unless you also factor that into it, you're probably not going to achieve the kind of use that you expected. So then, let me ask you this then. It, this is more of a generic question uh, about this area in, in general, is the fact that with that distinction of big data and still having to have the personal judgment, the decision-making process in terms of the business, there's been quite a bit of question about whether or not AI will be able to do a majority of those decisions moving forward. So where do you stand on that? Probably a little bit more skeptical than some of the buzz because we've spent a lot of time struggling with how do you get this mousetrap to actually be used. Right. And right. and I think that the other thing that we've built a lot of expertise in over the years is how to use some of the qualitative information with the quantitative information. So critical assumptions you're making. Um, 
sort of uh, the 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 context of the organization and the location and other things. So some of that isn't all contained in the underlying data. Right. And even if you then extend to sort of text analytics and and being able to scrape other things, it, it's still I think a bit of a leap to assume that all those things are going to be able to be programmed into a clear uh-huh. algorithm that's going to be able to then learn from itself. I think some things will. Uh-huh. But there's a lot of areas where I think your your best outcome is going to be able to marry the two. So then how did Align, uh, Align Analytics come into being? So um, I afterward, Wharton, I went to um, McKinsey and did the usual sort of consulting yep. thing. And uh, I often defer, describe it as sort of a, a, the finishing school uh, for me because it was really great, a lot of tools. But um, as I then went on to the World Economic Forum and afterwards I, I – was exposed early on in the mid-90s to some of these tools and technologies around decision support, business intelligence that were no longer cost prohibitive for companies. And what hit me was, you know, a typical consulting engagement would be um, very manually intensive, a lot of smart MBAs doing a lot of number crunching and spreadsheets and then doing a lot of pretty pictures and presentations. And you would get really good product. You'd get some insights that – you never could apply your own company's firepower to do without taking everybody off of their day jobs, sure, right? Yeah. So that was really valuable, but the shelf life was very limited. Right. So when I first saw these tools, and I'll start with, I was not technical at all. Right. Um, I right. said, wow, imagine if I could sort of bottle some of the logic, some of the thinking that you do, that you get trained on, and put it into the software. So that today is what data analytics and solutions are about. Sure, when yeah. we started, it wasn't at all evident that that would be possible because the technology was not mature enough, but mostly it was the companies weren't ready for it. Yeah. But the it, it, what I find interesting when we're talking about analytics in general is just the, the, the sheer staggering importance uh, of data and analytics. And obviously the, the digital era that we're in has, has provided a lot of that, but how important it is now and, and seemingly as we move on ad infinitum, how important big data and analytics will be to various elements of businesses around the world. Absolutely. And, and I've seen that difference. I keep saying I wish I was not in my 30th reunion, but my 10th, because sure, yeah. what's, what's happening right now is what we set out to do as a business. And for many years, it was a bit, you know, walking in the desert because it was it was still all about the technology and not so much the, the, the full use. Right. But um, one of the things that I find, find really interesting right now is you got a, you got a younger generation for whom this is second nature. And you've got, you know, companies that are really recognizing it's not just about the disruptors who've done something amazing. It's regular stuff that you could be doing much better. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's a very exciting time for this. So did you see in, in the course of your career a, a period of time where there kind of was that shift from relying on the technology to understanding that, OK, the technology and the data is a part of it, but it is still the human I- impact on the decision-making process. Yes, but I'd say it has been more recent. There were some early adopters that were tackling this in special, right. perhaps, industries where it was more pronounced. But it definitely has been a shift in the last uh, 10 years, even five years, I would say. Really? That's um, short. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having been in this space for a long time, I think the buzz has, has still stayed, the hype has stayed well ahead of the practice. Yeah. There's still a lot of uh, uh, caution and risk aversion towards changing the way you do things. Right. Um, one analogy we use when we talk about what's necessary is we talk about a three-legged stool. 
So you've got your data scientists, yeah, great, you know, great algorithms, great math, great calculations. Then you need the data plumber. These are the people that can do miracles with trying to get data to actually work together, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. These are the scraping, the cleaning, the, the twisting. And yep. then most importantly, in our mind, you have the data storyteller because that's the tail that wags the dog. The storyteller is going to guide those other two in a way that actually is going to be most effective. Right. And if you don't have them working closely together like a DNA that works – you're going to end up having science experiments as opposed to practical use. You were saying to me before we went on the air that that really a couple of your core areas that you deal with are retail and manufacturing. So how does the the scope of what you do play out, let's say, with with a retail company? Um, Well, let's take manufacturing as as an example that is perhaps a little bit more underserved because retail's got some amazing big data going on, right? Sure, yeah. But let's say you take a B2B business, uh, thousands and thousands of SKUs, complex customer relationships and um therefore if you look to look at the lowest level of the data the transaction record you got millions and millions of records right so today with big data and with you know algorithms and and artificial intelligence you can do things with that data that you couldn't do before you couldn't do manually so for example you can uh model out a whole range of scenarios of pricing Uh, Do an analysis first and say if we can uplift this range and category of product and customer by X, we can have this kind of impact. And then you can begin monitoring that. Now, those are kind of precision actions that taken in aggregate can give you 1% or 2% to the bottom line because you now have the tools to do that. Right. We're joined here in studio by uh, Roland uh, Moseman, who is the founding director and president of Align Analytics. This is our reunion radio special here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by by the Wharton School. So then finding that alignment for the company itself, it obviously has been a challenge, I would think, for many of them, or else your business would not be in existence. So what is it that, that the companies themselves have not been able to figure out? Well, I think there's there's several things, and missing out on on, on Adam Grant there is part of it. But it's there's yeah. there's a um, you know in 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 your role in a given function and and silo that you belong to, you've got a very clear set of boundaries. Yeah. For this to work, you're crossing those boundaries. So there's got to be somebody who is willing to allow that to happen in a way that overcomes some of the turf battles that are going to exist. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you, you know, you may well change the way people are going to end up being compensated. One of the clients we worked with where we were trying to align sort of strategic planning and operational execution you know, ended up with changing uh, some of the targets, uh, less growth at all costs, more growth with margin metrics that translated then into compensation. And you're dealing with people that run divisions that have a lot at stake. Yeah. So the, 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 the sort of stakeholder dimension of this is significant, which means that whoever's going to embark on this either has to have great support from the top or, you know, very, uh, very good and effective at navigating that kind of political reality. Right. And, and so how much uh, of it then at times is breaking through those silos within the companies themselves, but also at times the silos within the particular sector itself? I think the uh, – I'm not sure I understood the second part of that. Well, Sorry. well I, I mean, obviously within a company yeah. you're going to have different divisions right. where you one process may not match up with another process, but the end goal is the same. Within a sector, you may have companies that have their own processes where they have their own silos, and it's hard to break through those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the – one of the lessons learned the hard way and, and, you know, you kind of go in there and you say this is a fantastic mousetrap and then you realize, it, you know, it's not working for various reasons is 
giving people the, the chance to experience something early on and build on it. So this whole agile movement, the whole notion, it's particularly well suited for, for, for data and analytics because yeah. you can take a slice of something and show people something they haven't seen and get them on board. Whereas in the old sort of transaction system days, this was a multi-year project to get your new SAP yeah. system in place. Yeah. Then you see what it is. You yeah. know, it's not quite the same. Well, it can't be a multi-year project now anymore it's, because of the time and the speed required. And as you were alluding to before, the bottom line will not allow for a multi-year project to be put in place. Very much so. And that's also, I think, affecting some of the IT organizations, right? Because you know, they've all been trained in, 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 in managing risk and stability of long, big, complicated projects. Right. Now they have to be trained to manage a lot of different players, contractors, in-house, outhouse that are all going to sort of work together. So they, I think it's been a challenge also for those organizations. Uh, and I think that's part of kind of the, the next culture coming up to be more agile in how they run them. Does the, does the worry, concern, you know, however you phrase it, around data these days also play into how you work with a client specifically on laying out some of these processes because i would imagine in some instances there are times where the big data still must be protected because of 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 its sensitivity absolutely it's interesting so we started on the sort of cloud called different names back then, ASPs and whatever else. But uh, we started with sort of offering our services through a a cloud environment where we essentially have a lab on the cloud that people can tap into and made it made for, we have, we have a very virtual business. We have people in London, we in Budapest and Armenia, um, all over the place. So it was, it was never going to be, here's a team of people sitting in your, in your conference room. Right. Right. Um, so obviously early on, it was very much security. How do we know that this is safe? How do we do that? So it's always a concern. And obviously today it is a heightened concern. But at the same time, it's become a much more accepted thing. In the early years, right. it was a real uh, showstopper often. Whereas now it's like, well, we got, okay, you're doing a- using AWS, you're using Azure. You know, where, where is it housed? What are yeah. the... Uh, specific, so it's it, the the market has matured. But there there were probably were times where it was a hurdle as well, because if you go back maybe five years, well ten years or so, that realistically it was still such a kind of a new entity. Yes, that you had to have that trust between yourselves and the company and say, no, this is the way we need to do this process in order to best have an outcome for you. Exactly about. Um 10, 12 years ago, we cut our teeth on this with a, a compliance application that we ran that had sort of extra analytics around Sarbanes-Oxley and yeah. processes. And and so uh, we struggled a lot at that time because we were dealing with sort of risk and compliance officers. But at the same time, once we'd figured that out, it was easier to tackle sales or marketing people, right? Right. Well, if you can, take a moment and, and go back to that time because I had read about your work uh, kind of surrounding Sarbanes-Oxley and what really was all involved in that because that's that's kind of a historical time when you think about how businesses were, were having to deal with uh, the the accounting and, and all sorts of, uh, of structural pieces of businesses those days. So it was interesting because – you know, coming out of Wharton and MBA, I, I had a very much a C-suite view of the world, right? And then you do the consulting, et cetera. Once you start your own business, you realize it's much harder to get into that C-suite. Yeah. And we had a lot of um, sort of sort of offerings that dealt with really this alignment, right? You know, and then I used to realize over time that unless you had someone like a Jack Welch saying, you're going to do this, we're going to drive this to the organization, then it was really hard to get something that ambitious going. So we first looked at Sarbanes-Oxley as 
interesting. Here's an external event forcing people to get a holistic view of their business, yeah. understanding cross-silo issues. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can piggyback off of that. And then we realized, well, in order to piggyback off that, we better have a good product in the first place. <laughs> so then we did that. Um, but that's how we got into it. It was, it was less that we kind of were enamored with compliance per se, but more that we saw this is the first step towards getting a, a holistic enterprise lens of your business that you can actually then use in different ways. And then so to a degree, then the the, the onset of, of digital has just kind of opened the door even farther for you. Exactly. And and then, you know, you were capturing data in a more structured way. You were capturing documents and those things. Now that's part of the data you have to consider, all the unstructured and structured data. So then where do you think your industry and your company specifically are headed as we move even further and further in the, into the digital world? So we tend to focus uh, on on sort of more medium-sized companies that uh, may not have the internal resources or focus on the big sort of bigger players but need to have this capability, right? So one way that that can be done very cost-effectively is through managed services or supporting an environment for them once you've set it up. So they basically pay, you know, a monthly fee to have advanced data analytics without necessarily having to manage a whole team of data scientists themselves. Sure. We're joined here in studio by Roland uh, Moseman, who is uh, with Align Analytics. He is here on his uh, reunion. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're uh, on our reunion radio special. So when you look at at, at analytics in general, are there, as, as much as it is, now kind of a an ingrained part of our culture are are there still some elements that are that are are not understood that are misconceptions out there about analytics absolutely and first of all i think you know even the term is is filled with different meanings for different people right uh you know a i m l advance this advance that it's it's kind of hard to sort it all out um the other is i still think that there's uh, we're in the earlier you know the gartner kind of high cycle. We're still a bit in the hype cycle where there are some great examples, but for most companies, it hasn't yet permeated the way they really run everything or the way they run a lot of things. Right. So I think there's there's still a lot of um, uh, sort of evolution to go, and the technology keeps getting better. So that's sort of two, two axes that this is going to still evolve for a long time. You mentioned retail, and even though we didn't touch on it yeah. before, but because there is so much data analytics going on in retail... How is that dynamic different for you, for your business, in comparison to the manufacturing side where it maybe is not as prevalent? So uh, retail obviously has some of the most advanced applications out there. There's all kinds of interesting things that sort of combines foot traffic with, sure. uh, you know, imagery, cameras, et cetera, within and and. and Spend ratios. Spend ratios. And it was one interesting initiative we were looking at a while ago, you know, looking at where should we place so you, you, turnover is a big problem. Yeah. Uh, we've got people that have uncertain shifts and they tend to be. And then we've got the two or th- you know, that we have the smaller number of expert um, uh, domain experts. Uh, we don't want them to get stuck selling some low value product. And yet, you know, customer service means we need to have everybody looking, you know, helpful to any customer. So right. how do we manage? Where do we place them? How do we arrange their shifts to maximize their time with high value customer requests as opposed to low value. So that's a pretty complicated problem. And I'd say we, we probably don't get too deep into that because that, that, that requires a lot of industry expertise and we have sure. some. Yeah. But where we then 
work well is understanding how that stuff needs to be understood and connected up into finance and up into the supply chain. And right. it's often those next connections. Um, we're doing something with a company, and I'm, I'm sort of calling it precision planning in the sense that you've got – uh, you've got financial planning, you've got the sales and operational planning, you've got all these different sort of uh, supply chain stuff planning and, and, and connecting all those and benefiting from some of this detail yeah. is, is often lost. So um, back to alignment, we focus on the connecting between yeah. Yeah. and there might be some very precise solutions that we know of, but we're not necessarily the expert at those, but we know how to pull that data out and connect it somewhere else. Which I, I think for a lot of people that may be involved in a business situation like that, they might be sitting back and wondering, well, wait a minute, you would assume that those synergies would be fairly natural, that would be almost inherent within a business. But as you just laid out, in some instances, it is not. And it, it sounds like it is something where the recognition of how to get from A to B is a challenge for the company itself to do. Yeah. So um, I, I think at the end of the day, this is still sort of innovative stuff. Yeah. And if you look at most companies, it's not that easy to be innovative uh, as a team, as a project leader, as a whatever. So um, it's it's not that it's not something people haven't thought of. Yeah. It's how to actually navigate these stakeholders to make that happen. Right. And I would imagine, especially if you're talking about a public company as well, where you have to be turning in the quarterly report and showing that bottom line to your investors, to your stockholders on down the line. Exactly. We're joined here in studio by Roland uh, Mosselman, who is uh, with Align Analytics. You're listening to Knowledge Award here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Warden School. I would think that that there are also instances, especially when you're talking about a company that's dealing with vendors and such, that they can get overwhelmed by the amount of data and the numbers of vendors that they may be doing, especially when you're when you're looking for that synergy, uh, not necessarily just within your company, but 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 outside of your walls as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the, I think, sort of tricks of the trade that we try and help people with is leveraging some of the great visualization that now exists to to do a better job of having the data tell a story. Right. So you could have really really smart analytics going on but if you can't tell the narrative very well it's even harder to kind of get get over that overwhelming nature yeah um and there there really are you know some very creative ways now you know you look at new york times infographics you can tell stories in a much more compelling way and it's almost expected so the combination of all those things understanding how to reduce the complexity into something that can be sort of bite-sized, right. and then how to help people consume it very visually, very, very interactively. But, but are there also times where that relationship, you, you may have to get to a point where the relationship is broken, is separated, because the value from the one side is not matching what the company wants on the other side. How do you mean that? So well, I mean, with a, with a partnership, obviously, you have an expectation of, we're going with this company because of the value that they're bringing. But obviously, if you're looking at those synergies and the value you see is maybe not there the way it should be, and there's another opportunity, you, you have to make that call or you have to make that recommendation as well. True. And and there definitely are times where, you know, you, you end up recognizing that, you know, for various reasons, they're not going to be able to move forward on this or yeah. they have internal uh, constraints that, you know, this will be put on hold for a while. Are, are companies more willing now to be able to look at their, at their policies, at their strategies, and adapt them because of the need to have these synergies in alignment as, as fluidly as possible? 
Yes. I mean, I, so um, I think it's partly coming just from all the stuff that's happening around us, but it's also happening at the board level. I mean, boards are more and more concerned about the level of uncertainty with all of these different uh, externalities sort of affecting. So the, 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 the ability to, we often refer to this as, you know, rapid course correction. Yeah. You can have a great strategy. You can have your plan. The truth is as soon as you've started it, it's going to change again. So yeah. how do you very quickly adapt to that? So, for yeah. example, if you can do certain adjustments in quarter as opposed to two weeks after the quarter, sure. you've already gained four weeks maybe. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that sort of course correction aspect is 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 part of what's driving the need for this alignment. I, I want to finish up talk, talking about your Wharton experience and what that meant to you and and how that has really played out as a benefit for you in your professional career. So I, I really got the bug for, for analysis here. Um, it was, you know, getting into the numbers and analyzing that. And that's why I decided to go on to consulting because the problem solving with data and, and analysis was something that really uh, excited me. I thought it was, you know, a great way of, of addressing things. It was fascinating for me and I got involved with that. And then, we're aging ourselves now, but but Wharton's marketing department, which was one of the uh, miners I had, um, were really you know at the leading edge of using quantitative analysis for a lot of marketing research, and yeah. and really they were at the top of the line. And I was so imp- sort of thinking that that is such a cool thing. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole kind of bug for data and analytics started here. Yeah. Um, and then you know one of the nice things about the program was always the you know the teamwork and really we were dealing with our cross silo realities because sure. typically you'd you'd have the finance major you'd have the marketing major you'd have the various um, elements and um, I ended up choosing to be an entrepreneurial major and I remember the question being asked you know how do you teach entrepreneurship and right. the answer is you don't really but here are yeah. some things and it was the here's one thing that was interesting it was the only program that had a sales course. And I was thinking afterwards, you know, we're all going out there and we don't learn anything about selling. How does that make sense? <laughs> At a business school. At business school. Right. Uh, so that was extremely valuable and fairly unusual experience. Um, taught a lot. Taught me a lot. I can imagine what the – and maybe you can shed some light on this as the last question. What was the, the thought process or what was analytics being referred to back then, when realistically, I don't think people have considered it analytics until the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I don't think it, it was even identified as such. I, I didn't even sort of come across the term decision support systems until later. But I remember in particular, um, I think it was Professor Green that had all these um, complicated math algorithms around um, around uh, trade-off decisions in, in – uh, in, in consumer choices and things. Yeah. And and I remember it was really interesting to, so there was a lot of this sort of, you know, analysis and number crunching is probably what we would have called it, yeah. not necessarily called it analytics. Yeah. Great meeting you. Thank you. Enjoy your time on campus. Absolutely. Nice meeting you. Roland uh, Moseman, who is the uh, founding director and president of Align Analytics. We'll continue our reunion radio special here on a Saturday in just a minute. Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 